If you didn't uh, bring a Bible this morning, there's one right there in front of you, the Red Bible. It's on page number 788. The book of Ephesians, chapter 4. Before we start, I'd I'd like to uh, recognize Harlan and Trudy Hensley today. And I'd like to ask you guys way in the back of the church to stand up. They are celebrating their 50th wedding anniversary. Wow. We, we salute you. Well done. Arlen told me earlier, he says, we're ready to start on another 50 now. So we hope, uh, we hope the best for them. Uh, I'd like to talk to you today about building a healthy church because that's what the Apostle Paul is talking about here in uh, Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, he says, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you are called. The word therefore points back to the previous chapters. And I mentioned to you before that the previous chapters talk about doctrinal things. It's pretty heavy and, you know, we've touched on some of those things. It talks about doctrinal things. Uh, but chapter 4 and 5 and 6 talks about practical things. And he says, I've laid the foundation, uh, the thing that sets a church apart, that preaches the Bible from other organizations, is what they believe. Uh, and so he says, now that we have that worked out, that salvation is not by works which you have done, uh, but according to my mercy... For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Since we have that figured out, let's go on now and let's try to build a healthy church. And so he says, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord. Paul is in jail right here, and the story is found in Acts chapter 28. He's under house arrest, but he's... um, he's preaching, he's writing letters, and here we are. We're reading these letters right now. Uh, Verse number two, he says, with all lowliness, that word lowliness there leads humility and gentleness with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. He says, listen, the church has to be unified and it has to be a peaceful place. Uh, whenever people come to the church, there needs to be unity. Uh, there needs to be peace. People in our world suffer for peace, don't they? They crave peace because our world is such an unpeaceful place. He says, listen, the church has to be a place of peace. Gentleness with long-suffering. That means putting up with people. That means having patience with one another. In love. And the Greek word there is the word agape, and that means uh, an unselfish love. That means a love that looks out for the interest of other people, not just ours. Uh, Endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And then he goes on and he talks about things that uh, we have in common in the church. I've had many people through the years say to me, you know, I love to come to church because I have so much in common with the people there. And and what they were talking about is that we have things in common in a spiritual way. 
not, maybe not necessarily a financial way or a physical way or a, vacation, a vocational way, but a spiritual way. And he says, these are the things you have in common. Look, look at them in verse 4. There is one body, and that body is the church. And one spirit, and that's the Holy Spirit. When a person accepts Jesus as their Savior, God sends his Holy Spirit to live in their heart. And you know what that means potentially? Potentially, that means that everybody or almost everybody in the church on any given Sunday has the spirit of the living God living in their heart. Now, that creates a lot of commonality, common things going on there. Just as you were called in one hope of your calling. That's the future that we have together. Um, you know, we've taken many trips to foreign places with our young people the church. And I never will forget those early trips we used to take down to the island of Haiti. And I was riding in a, a little car with a pastor of a church down there. And he said, America always comes down here to help us out, but we can never get on our feet. Because Haiti believes in voodoo. And uh, he said, for instance... Uh, they paved the roads in Port-au-Prince. And I said, well, what happened to the paving? He said, the people ate it. They ate it. They had nothing to eat. I don't know exactly what he meant by that, but the paving was gone. Well, uh, and you know, when, you come, when we used to get into their services, they would sing and they would be so happy. You know why? Because their mind was not on the present, but was on the future. They were looking forward to heaven. They were looking forward to a better land, a land that was different from the land in which they live. And so we have that in common. Now, we live in America, and we have a lot of pleasures here, and we have a lot of things in common here. But listen, uh, we're going to be in heaven forever together. How about that? Isn't that great? And you're sitting here in our church today and you're saying, man, I have all kind of problems. I, you don't know the issues that I'm dealing with. I'll listen. One of these days, the Bible says the former things are passed away. We're going to be in heaven together. And so, and so we have that in common. And people tell me oftentimes, you know, I love to come to the church and I feel so comfortable with them. Almost more comfortable than with my family. And I always tell people this, you know, uh, it's great that we can feel comfortable with each other in the church, but don't leave your family behind. I know people have done that. You know, they find a joy in the, in the commonality that we have in Christ, and they just put all their effort into the church and the friends of the church, and they leave their family behind. But, but let me say this. The church is a place that we're supposed to bring our family along with us. Because remember in Acts chapter 16, verse 31, uh, the Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved and your family. Uh, whenever the Lord saves us, that's the epicenter. Uh, that's, the, that's the thing that's supposed to reach out into our family. And when I think about the families in our church, and I just look out over our church this morning, I see people that, it just took one or two people in your family that came to Christ, and then your kids were saved, and now your grandkids are saved, and it just was a wonderful thing, and isn't it great to be able to lay your head down on the pillow at night and know that no matter what happens in our country through this election or whatever takes place, we have a future with the Lord. Amen? Isn't it comforting to know that? And so that's, that's what draws us together. That's what keeps us together. Because we're not just living for this life. We're living for the life beyond this life. 
And he says, listen, there's one body and one spirit and you're called in one hope of your calling. There's one Lord and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. There's one faith and one baptism. One God and Father of us all. Uh, I'd like to talk to you about building a healthy church. You know, health is a wonderful thing. In our church, we always have people who are suffering physically. And, and uh, we don't like to see that, but that's the way life is. But God wants us to be, as a church, spiritually healthy. I'll tell you the reason why. Because, you know, I don't know if you've ever tried, and I, I'm sure you have, uh, tried going to work and being productive on the job and, not, and being sick. You know what needs to be done, but you just can't do it. But when you're healthy, you know what needs to be done and you can do it. That's the way it is with a church. Uh, a church that's not healthy, healthy knows what needs to be done, but can't do it. Uh, but a healthy church uh, can do what needs to be done. And so there's a few things I want to mention to you this morning. How all of us can promote the health of our church. We do that by our behavior. We are to actually start walking the talk. You know, it's easy to talk a good story. You know that? It's easy to use scriptural terms, read the Bible, say the right things. But something much harder than that is to actually walk the talk. Actually be what we're talking about being. Uh, aspire to God's standard. Let's go back and look at chapter 4, verse 1 again. Therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, of, I beseech you to walk worthy of your calling with which you were called. Now, God has called us all together to come to him. And he's, he has this standard. He has this new standard that we have to live by. And here he begins to talk about that. You know, the nice thing about the Bible is God doesn't want to bring us to bring his standards down to where we live. He wants us to aspire to his standards. He wants us to strive to live by his standards. Because the more our church, and every church like our church, aspires to live to God's standards, the more healthy and the more effective we can be for Christ. Now, look at verse 2. Here we go. He says, I want you to live with all lowliness. That means humility. Humility. Someone said one time that humility is the grace that when you know you have it, you've just lost it. Uh, you know, I've seen people that even could get proud about their humility. Uh, humility is a hard thing for Americans, you know that, because we're not taught that very well. We're supposed to go out and be proud and self-asserting. We're supposed to push each other around and get our own way. Uh, but, but the Lord says, listen here, I want you to be humble. Romans 12.3 says this, and uh, help me out and read it. You, my voice is not too good today, so do your part, okay? For I say... He says, listen, I don't want you to think of yourself more highly than you ought to. Uh, being humble means that we're not supposed to, uh, to think that the, that the world 
revolves around us. That we are the center of the world. We are not. Uh, it doesn't say either, though, that we're, we're to depreciate ourselves or think that we are nothing because we are a lot more than that. You remember the old statement we used to hear all the time, God doesn't make any, what? Junk, right? Uh, we are made in the image of God. And so, uh, I don't know exactly where all this fits. I don't know how much we're supposed to think about ourselves or how little. Uh, but I do know one thing. We're supposed to be humble with each other. And, you know, in the ancient world, humility was looked down upon. It really was. As a sign of weakness. Uh, but in the Bible, I find that people who are used by God are humble people. Let me give you an example of that. Moses. In Numbers, chapter 12, verse 3, it says this. Now, the man Moses was very humble more than all the men who were on the face of the earth. Now, whenever you think of Moses, you think of Carlton Heston, right? Or uh, you think of Moses who goes before Pharaoh and he says, let my people go. I'll tell you what, Moses was pretty courageous. He wasn't a weak person. Uh, but God used him in a great way. You see, Moses wasn't in the ministry for himself. That's pride. Moses was in the ministry for God. And so God used him. He was the most humble man on the face of the earth. Jesus, I think, is a good example of this too. In Matthew eleven twenty-eight, it says this, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. You know, Jesus wasn't a weak person, was he? Remember when he went into the temple? He tore the place up. Uh, but in his heart, he was humble. Uh, that's what God wants you and me to be. And I'll tell you what, I've told you before, I've struggled with this through the years. I really have. Uh, because every time I get a few victories, my head starts to grow. I don't know, it's like steroids. Just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And you know, when that happens, God just shuts me down. God just stops using me when I become proud. And I can look back through my ministry and my life and say, boy, I'll tell you what, there, were, there was a period of there, I, I don't think God used me at all. Uh, because I thought, boy, I'll tell you, I have so much to offer God. You know, I have these gifts and I have these talents and I can do things and I can make things happen. And do you see the emphasis is on, not on me, right? It's on it was, it was on me, not God. Uh, but I'll tell you, life has a way of humbling you, doesn't it? Uh, you know, you start out in life and you think you have it all figured out and you're going to do this and do that and it doesn't work out. It starts to unravel. It starts to come apart. Um, it's a humbling thing. And so when we come up here on the hill, God wants us to be humble with each other, not prideful. And then he goes on, and look what else he says. And this is amazing to me right here. Verse number two. He says, listen, with all lowliness and gentleness. I, he said, I want you to be gentle with each other. Now, I, I, have, I find a definition of this in 1 Thessalonians 2.7. It goes like this. Paul is talking to the Thessalonian church, and he says, but we, we were gentle among you just as a nursing mother cherishes her children. Uh, we have a lot of babies in their church, and it's so neat to see the parents of those babies. They just carry those kids. So uh, 
so tenderly and so gently. Sometimes they say, here, do you want to hold that kid? And I go, oh, no, no, no. I'm afraid I'll drop him, you know. Uh, uh, but, you know, parents are so gentle and so tender with their kids. You know, Paul said whenever he preached to the Thessalonian church, he was gentle with them as a mother with her baby. You know, we think Christianity is supposed to be some rough and tumble thing. It's supposed to be a gentle thing. It really is. I've told you before about the guy we used to have in our church. He, uh, whenever we used to go out on visitation and try to bring people to Christ and tell them about the love of God, uh, he was kind of a debater kind of guy, and he thought that he knew more than everybody else. And it seemed like almost every day of his life he tried to prove that to people. And he would go out on visitation with us, and he'd come back and tell us about all the arguments he had won. But he never one time told us about anybody that he brought to Christ. Uh, he, he, he was good with answers, but poor with people. Uh, he was good at flaunting his knowledge and showing how, how smart he was and how he, had, was like, he was like our version of the Bible answer man, the walking Bible. Um, but he wasn't gentle. He did it with pride and force. Um, Paul said, listen, when I came to the church at Thessal- Thessalonica, I treated you with gentleness. Now, keep this in mind. James 3.17 says this, But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. Now, if you were here last week, you remember what I said. I know you remember what I said. No, I can hardly remember what I said. In the previous chapter, look over there, chapter 3, verse 10. Last week we said this. To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to principalities and powers in the heavenly places. Remember last week I said that, that the wisdom of God, God's divine wisdom was to emanate from the church. So much so that the angels... Good and bad angels in the invisible world saw the wisdom of God being played out in the church. Now, we've just seen in James 3.17 that the wisdom of God is peaceable and gentle. Now, this is so cool. What this means is this, is as, as we do church here on the hill, the angels of God are, are looking in at our church. And the angels of the devil are also looking in on our church. And they're observing what's going on here. And God says the thing that he wants them to observe from us is his wisdom. What God is doing in the church is he's creating a new community on earth. Let's say that, creating a new community. He's creating a new community on earth. And so the angels of God are looking at the church and, and they see in the church God is changing the hearts of people from pride to humility, from force to gentleness. And the angels are like struck in awe that this could be happening because the real spiritual battle, you know this, the real spiritual battle is in the invisible world. You're aware of that. 
Because the Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in heavenly places. And so they see the, you know, we think the world is wicked and the world is incredibly wicked. But they see the wickedness in even a greater dimension. And so they're looking, we can't see the angelic world, but the angelic world can see us. And God says, what I want them to see in your church is my wisdom. I am creating a new community. And this new community doesn't act like the community in the world. This community is a group of humble people. A group of gentle people. And here's the demons in the invisible world, and they're saying, I've never seen this before. That a person's life could be so transformed by the power of God. This is another type of knowledge and another type of wisdom. It is the wisdom of God. I'll tell you what, it is wonderful when God begins to transform hearts like that. Let's look what else here the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4. First of all, there's humility. Second, there's gentleness. And look at the third thing, long-suffering. You know what that is? That's patience. The ability to endure discomfort without fighting back. Making allowances for each other's faults. Long-suffering. I'll tell you, when you're in the church, you have to be long-suffering. And we need to be long-suffering with each other. You know, I am most tested in patience when I go to Walmart. I really am. Uh, Joanne and I went the, the other day. And, and, you know, first of all, we didn't get killed in the aisle anywhere. We didn't get run over. We didn't run over anybody. We were just trying to mind our own business, get through the experience with joy. And you know how it is when you get through, finally, you can hardly turn the buggy, it's so heavy. And um, so anyway, she turned it over to me early. I wanted to turn it back over to her. And so we finally got up there where you're supposed to check out. And you know, you know how you do that? You kind of spy it out, you know, you think, oh man, I'm going to figure this baby out. Uh, and you see, I, I, you got your line there. You see an aisle. And you start counting the items in the person's basket in front of you. And, and I figured it out. There's two ladies here, and they don't have very many items, so this is a, like a done deal. you know. So I zoomed, I, Joanne was hanging on. I said, hurry up, hang on. I, I like drove that cart in there, slammed on my brakes, and I thought, oh, man, I think we've done it. But guess what happened? The lady in the front has a problem. There's a problem breaks out. And I thought, I'm standing there and I'm saying, you know, God must have a purpose for this. You know, this is, this is, a, this is a divine moment right here. And so I pulled out my phone, started to read my email. And I'm starting to think. I'm looking at other lines by then. I wonder if I went from here to there. Would that work? I thought all sorts of things. Some of the things I thought were bad. Bad thoughts. I I got some bad thoughts in my mind at Walmart. And I said, I hope I get out of here with my religion. And so we waited and waited and waited. And the other line, they were flying through there. How many of you people have ever had an experience like that at Walmart? Oh, the whole church, my goodness. (laughs) The whole church. 
I saw you one time, didn't I, Dave? Was it, was it Sam's? You look mad going through there. You must have been having the same. You must have had the same experience. Yeah. Okay. Long suffering. You know, not on that scale, but when we come up into the church to work with each other, we have to be long suffering with each. We have to give each other allowances to fail. We have to say, listen, this is not the perfect community. Can I have an amen? This is not even partially a perfect community. We are only sinners saved by what? Grace, that's all. You know, I used to have this bumper sticker on my car. It said, praise the Lord at Library Baptist Church. And then I ran a few people off the road. And I thought, this is not working out. This, is, this will not work. I went home and I peeled that bumper sticker off my car. I said, listen, I'm, making this, I'm messing this whole thing for God up. Uh, and so now I like to see a bumper sticker that says this. Forgiven. That's all. That's all I am, folks. I'm only forgiven. That's as good as it gets. But isn't it wonderful to be forgiven by the grace of God? And know that your sins are under the blood of Christ. And that we have a home in heaven. Let's look at one other thing here. Uh, in verse number two. Bearing with one another. That means putting up with each other. Let me say one thing before we pass, go on from there. Uh, the Bible says here we're supposed to do it with love. And the Greek word there for love is agape. And that means a love that seeks a person's highest good. I want to encourage you to enjoy the church as much as you can, but the, the only way you can do this is that you have to look at the church through the eyes of someone who's trying to help other people. Uh, love is a self-sacrificing love. When God sent His Son Jesus on the cross, He exhibited agape love. He did that for you. And so when we drive up on this hill at the church here, I want to encourage you, to not have this idea, now what's the church going to do for me today? Because I don't think we can perform very good for you. I don't think we can reach our standard, really. Uh, but if you drive up on this hill and you say, now listen, who can I encourage today up on this hill? Who can I love up here on this hill? Who can I reach out to and make their life a little bit better up here on this hill? Do you know you'll drive off of this property one fulfilled person? You really will. Because there's a lot of people in our church that need your love. There's a lot of people in our church that need your comfort and your consideration. Now, these are areas that all of us have faltered in. And listen, I'm the chief. Uh, I think so many times in my life that God really shut me down because I was a proud person. Uh, and God had to teach me through hard circumstances to be humble. And he's always teaching me that. But, you know, I know my wife will attest to that, that I'm a whole lot easier to get along with when I'm humble than when I'm proud. And, you know, when we come into the church, all of us are bringing our baggage in here. You know that? Uh, things uh, in our life from our past. We're all bringing it in here. And we're all trying to be transformed by the power of Christ uh, because... God wants His angels to look down here at Library Baptist Church and say this, Look, those people love each other. We have a lady in our church in the first service, Loretta. 
Loretta's the nun. I mean, she was a nun for a long time. She's not anymore. But she's a nun. She's 88 years old. I asked her this morning, are you going to vote, Loretta? She said, well, of course. I said, who are you voting for? She said, she told me. I said, that's good, Loretta. Uh, Loretta said the first time she came into our church, this thought popped popped into her mind. You shall know they are Christians by their love. And she says every time thereafter she comes into our church, she senses the love of God in our church. Isn't that a wonderful thing? She's close to God, that lady. She's 88 years old. She's walked with the Lord a long time. And I'll tell you, she can tell the difference. Uh, And so I want to encourage you today uh, in these areas. Because the health of the church is determined by our behavior with one another. And you know, we're all being changed by the power of God. And you're sitting here today and you're saying, listen, I've got a pride problem. I'm not very patient with people. I'm not very loving. You know, I, I, um, oftentimes the center of my universe is me. I'm not gentle. Well, listen, these are, this is God's standard. And I just want to encourage you today, let's aspire to God's standard. Let's get off of the, let's get off of the world standard and get on to God's. And let's see God continue to build in our church a healthy congregation. Uh, a place where people can come and say, hey, listen, the Spirit of God is here. Uh, God is touching lives here and God is changing lives. And uh, all of that begins with me and all of it begins with you as we work together in Christ. Let's bow our heads in prayer. With our heads bowed this morning and our eyes closed, I'd like to ask you to look into your heart today. Uh, How's your behavior in the church? How's your behavior, period, in your home? Uh, do these things that we talked about, do they, um, do they speak to you today? Well, right now, I'd like to ask you to just say, Lord, touch me in these areas. Change my life. Uh, I want to cooperate as best I can. Uh, I want to be changed by your power. I, I don't want to be on the world's standard. I want to be on God's standard. Touch me. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your word. It uh, never changes. It's always helpful. And we pray that these words that you will apply to our heart today uh, so that that the light may shine from our church and and that we'll be healthy, strengthened, and strong to do your work. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.